Our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Steve Andrews. It is entitled, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. Greetings, brethren. Yeah. You know, I sat there that whole time thinking about turning that thing on, and the first thing I do is get up here without it on, so anyway. Greetings, brethren, and uh, today, um, whenever we read the uh, words in red, especially the ones in the New Testament of Jesus, and he's sitting down with his disciples, I always think those are very important for us to pay attention to. <laughs> you know, we, we need to, to think that we are his disciples. We are the ones that are carrying this message to the world to the, to the best of our ability and what God gives us and what he, he, he helps us uh, to take to the world. And, and, um, and in, in John, the 14th chapter, in verse 27, and these are the last words, and of course, the, the words that Jesus is, is preaching here is to his disciples as, as he is about ready, and, and we know, to, to give up his life um, for all of mankind, not just for those disciples. But the fact that he personally sat down with them and gave them these words um, it, it should, should always um, give us strength and help us to understand that Jesus loves us so very much. And it's just this one verse, and, and it's, it's where my, my message um, came from. He says, peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I to you. And then he says something very profound here. And uh, there's one radio announcer that likes to use this. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In the world, we're going to have tribulation and trials and things that are going to come up on us. And when we read Jesus' words, we are encouraged to understand that there is, a, there is a peace that comes from him because he sits at the right hand of the Father. He made it through this physical life, and he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's our advocate. He's our high priest. Now also, from Jesus' very words, come prophecy, powerful messages, and some that have not happened yet that we're looking forward to, and that's the coming of the kingdom of God on this earth. In Matthew, the 24th chapter, we know this one is the most, some of the most profound things that Jesus gave to his disciples. And beginning in verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See you not all these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be, be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives. Disciples came to him privately. They came to him privately. So this is a private message that's, that Jesus is giving to his disciples. And I, this, this is extremely important for us to understand, this, this private message for his disciples, which is what we are. We are his 
followers. We're the ones that are studying Jesus Christ on this earth. Because all of his disciples, those that were the apostles, are all dead. And they've been, this, this word has been given to us down through the ages. He says, tell us. They said, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no man deceive you. So when we look at prophecy and the different things that are being said in the world, we have to take it with uh, an, um, an understanding of the word of God. And, and By the way, I've been in this way since 1969. And, and Lucille's been in it longer than that. And, and we've heard many prophecies over the years. And it's very difficult sometimes um, to put together the things because the world changes. Things change in the world. And I think as the time gets very close, we will understand it. We will understand the prophecy. Those that are alive, if it be us or if it be... Uh, others, there will be youngers that, that, that come along, and they will understand these prophecies. But we are to, to read them, we are to, to, to understand to the best of our ability, and, and most of all, to not be deceived. To not be deceived. That's what Jesus said. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. Or preaching Christ. And preaching the gospel message they, they, they want you to believe. And shall deceive many. He says, You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places. Lest I discourage all of you, I, didn't, uh, I decided not to name this message War and Peace. Because this is exactly what I wanted to, to bring today. Um, as I was thinking about, by the way, Leo Tolstoy's uh, War and Peace is being read, for those of that I didn't tell earlier. Um, they may be finished with it now, I don't know. They had a 60-hour marathon of reading that, all in Russian, by the way, real time. They were sitting down reading, reading that. And, that, of course, that was about the, uh, Napoleon's try at... Uh, uh, taking um, over Russia, Moscow, and that area. And, of course, um, Hitler tried it. He should have learned from Napoleon. <laughs> he, he, he came up with the same, uh, they came with the same result. They lost. And the Russians, I mean, they lost too, but um, they won. I, I found a, a thing called War since 1900. War since 1900. It was on the internet because I was thinking about this. And I counted 266. 266 wars. And um, I, I marked some of them. Um, back in 1907 to 1910, Korean guerrilla war against Japanese occupation. 17,736 died in that in that skirmish. The Russia Russo Japanese War, nineteen oh four to nineteen oh five, one year. hundred and fifty one thousand eight hundred and thirty one died in that. These are very interesting statistics, they're kind of scary. 
Because man has been at war since, since when? Since the beginning, hasn't it? It didn't take very long. Cain and Abel, and it began. God had kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, and all of the things that began to happen, and oh, it was... The sadness has, has continued. First Balkan War, 1912, 1913, 82,000. World War I, 10,670,868. Mexican Revolution, 125,000. And that may have been a lot higher than that because I think there were a lot of uh, more. But these are the statistics that they were able to find. Um, communist versus Kumatang. I don't even know where that is. It happened between 1930 and 1935. 500,000 died in that, in that skirmish, that war. World War II, 50 million, 50 million to bring to keep Hitler from taking over the world. 50 million. And of course, uh, uh, Hirohito in Japan. Indian partition, communal violence, 200,000. Chinese Civil War, 1,200,000. This was 1946 to 1949. Arab-Israeli War, they hadn't even gotten settled in, the, in, their, in their land. And they had very little land at that. <laughs> At that beginning, they didn't have very much. And, they, and the Arabs decided that they didn't want any Jews in there at all. And that war cost 21,000 lives. And Israel actually won that war. Korean War. This is the first war that I was, was able to be aware of. and I was um, not very old. Uh, 995,025, and we still have a de demilitarized zone in, in, uh, in Korea, and we still have troops over there. Algerian War of Independence, 184,886. Vietnam Civil War, 1955 to 1964, 164,000. That wasn't even the Vietnam War. Nigerian Civil War, 75,000. Israel versus Egypt, 5,520. That was 1969 to 1970. I remember that one. That, that was a, a defeat of the, the Egyptians. Yom Kippur War, 6,450, 1973. Vietnam War, lots. 2,048,050, 1965 to 1975. Chinese Cultural Revolution, 2,050,000. Iran versus Iraq, some of us remember that, 1980 to 1988, when they were using, actually using chemical warfare on them. 644,500 died in that, that, that particular situation. First Gulf War, 22,848. Rwanda Civil War, 1990 to 1994, 520,000. Sometimes we don't really realize in some of these skirmishes that happen in Africa and places where, how many people are actually dying in these? How many are dying because of people fighting and warring between one another? 
Afghanistan Civil War, 1978 to 2000, 536,297. And then um, Mozambique government versus uh, two other groups, 115,000. Russia versus the Chechen separatists, 23,000. Israel versus Palestine, 19... <laughs> it's interesting, they've got this written down from 1949 to, to 2014. They've been warring for all of those years since they've been there. 15,000 have died over that war. Afghanistan war, 2001 to 2014, 53,000. And Syrian war, 43,000. And you can go and you can look at these statistics. And, and this, by the way, this, this site, which is kind of a scary site, uh, you can actually um, click on these and, and they'll tell you all about that war and how it came about, why it was, you know, why it happened. Now, the other thing, back to this, um, back to Matthew, the 24th chapter, let's pick it up in verse 8 now. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. All these things are the beginning of sorrows, Jesus says. Here we have wars and rumors of wars, and you can see how many people have died in those wars. And, and, and we constantly have rumors of wars going on, more wars. We, you know, we can get involved with ISIS and, and the different um, factions over there in the Middle East again, which we are uh, to some degree. And as the terrorists begin to, to do things inside of the, the country, uh, there will be more talk of war. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel, the good news of the kingdom, shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, then let them which are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let them which are in the housetops not come down to take uh, anything out of the house. Neither let them which are in the field return back to take their clothes. And woe to them that are with child and them that give suck in those days. But pray you that your flight not be in the winter, neither in the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation shall such as was not yet uh, since the beginning of the world to, to this time, nor ever shall be. And up to that point, and that's why I brought this book. It was kind of an interesting book. I can't even remember. I think it was at Barnes & Noble, I think, on, a, on the bargain uh, table. It's called Battles of the Bible. And I was uh, quite fascinated by the front picture, you know, the chariots and the battle. It looked like the, maybe the, uh, yeah, it was. It's a... Uh, um, when the Egyptians were killed and uh, when Moses said, you know, God, let the water go over the top of them. And they're all out here in, the, in, that, uh, in that skirmish dying. But one of the things that was interesting and that was a part of this message here was in 63 B.C., not A.D., but B.C. In other words, before, before Christ came up on the, on the scene, the Romans came to Jerusalem and became the... the uh, occupying force in, uh, in the Holy Land. Um, and, and this book is kind of interesting because in it, it has a little synopsis in the front of it so you don't have to read the whole thing if you don't want to. 
because <laughs> they do get to be old, uh, it gets to be loved. But the point is here, before Christ came on the scene, they were already occupied by the Romans, okay? Here's, here's this little synopsis. Who? A Roman army under uh, Gnaeus, uh, uh, Pontius, uh, Pompus Magnus, or Pompey, uh, verse um, 106 to 48 B.C., that was his, how long he lived, uh, versus Jewish forces loyal to the um, Aristobulus, 104 to 103 B.C. Pompey's forces gradually wore down the defenses around the temple and launched a successful assault. The city of Jerusalem, uh, where? In the city of Jerusalem in 63 B.C. Pompey had wide-ranging powers to end the threat to Rome and decided that there were sufficient grounds for intervention in Jerusalem. Pompey's forces were successful and captured the temple and then installed high, a high priest of his own choosing. Now, if you, if you were living then and you, and you heard Jesus' words and, um, and you knew that Jesus had said in the second verse of, of chapter 24, See you, not all these, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Well, in, Jeru in Jerusalem in 70 A.D., um, and of course they were under Roman occupation, but the, the, the Romans now were, were putting um, figures of their, uh, of their Roman occupiers and their Roman um, uh, uh, emperors, especially the Emperor Caligula, Ruled for, for less than four years, but he had untold damage in that time. His uh, insistence that his statue be placed in synagogues and worshipped as a god enraged the Jews. And I can understand that. I can understand that. And if you were living in that, in that particular time and you began to see the Rome, and, and, and you had these um, Jews that began to rise up, would you not want to move? Get your children and everybody out of there. Why did it happen? Jerusalem, 70 A.D., when the temple was destroyed. The Roman army, numbering 35,000 under um, Titus Flavius, soon to become emperor of Vespasian, um, A.D. 69-79, imposed by at least 24,000 rebel Jews. 35,000 against 24,000. Jerusalem was besieged for much of the, of the war and finally taken by storm. The city, of course, was Jerusalem and Judea. And these warriors, I mean, these Jews were warriors, brethren. They were warriors. 24,000 stood up against the Roman army. These guys, they could fight. Outraged by practices allowed by the Romans, the Jews rebelled against their, their conquerors. The outcome, the Jews were utterly defeated. And not only that, the temple caught fire and was destroyed in 70 A.D. So Jesus' prophecy came by. And of course the last ditch battle was Masada. The last ditch battle that the, the, that the Jews fought in Jerusalem, I mean in that area, uh, at that time, <laughs> not, not modern time, but at that time, was Masada. 73 A.D., uh, AD 73 to 74. So why did it happen? Around, uh, around 1,000 Jews, including non-combatants led by Eliezer ben uh, Yair, opposed by 
around 7,000 Roman troops from the 10th Legion and uh, attack forces under Lucius Fabius Silva, procurator of, of, of Judea. So um, this was all internal. What well, Masada was virtually impregnable. It was up on a hill, way up on a hill. And it was, I mean, it had walls around it. It had uh, uh, impregnable uh, forces. And, and it, was, it was the Roman army. It was the Romans that finally figured out how to, how to, how to beat them. How to get up there. They built siege engines and, 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 and war um, marvels for that time. And they were able to, to overcome the Jews. And the Jews actually committed suicide. All of them died in that, in that city. It was, was a sad thing. Um, let's see. Masada was virtually impregnable and well supplied. So the Romans un, undertook elaborate works of siege engineering uh, to gain uh, entry. The fortress of Masada on the Dead Sea coast in, in Israel, um, after the Jewish revolt of AD 66-72 was largely put down, and the remaining zealots were gradually mopped up. Those besieged at Masada represented the last significant force. After lengthy prep, uh, preparations, the Romans were ready to storm the fortress, and the defenders committed suicide rather than be taken. So, war, brethren, war is horrible. War is what mankind has been doing for a very long time. Well, I want to pick it back up here. Um, let's, let's go ahead and read the rest of the, uh, Matthew 24 here, um, at least up in uh, verse 31. Um, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many, verse 12, but he that shall do it to the end, verse 13, shall, shall be saved, and this gospel shall be preached. So we, uh, and I've, I've read through that. And, and those, you know, those that were in that, in that city would, could have fleed, could have got out of there in AD 70. But what sets this one apart is, is these last verses. For then shall be great tribulation, such as not from the beginning of the world to this time. No, never shall be. So we, this last, um, these last wars, this last part, is going to happen at the end of the days. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved for the elect's sake. Those days shall be shortened. And why is that? What makes this different today than it was then? What makes the society and the world that we live in so much different? Well, isn't it the fact that we can actually wipe each other off the face of the map through the nuclear war that we could, that would, I mean, we don't even, frankly, brethren, we don't even have to put it on the ground anymore. We know that. Electrical magnetic pulses in the atmosphere could wipe out all electrical stuff, all electrical grids, everything in, in this nation, and all it would take would be three well-placed nuclear bombs up in the atmosphere, and this, this nation, the United States, would, be, would, would become um, a third-world country overnight without hardly any. Now, there would be some electronics and some things that would survive, but <laughs> we, would be, we would be back to the... And this, this society would not survive very well. And I think we've all understood that, that this society would not survive very well under the conditions that we would, we would face if we had to go back to horse and buggy. And you would, and the Mennonites would do okay. <laughs> Some survivalists would do pretty good, you know, they, up until the time that they, they were in trouble because all of the, the, the robbing mobs would go from place to place 
robbing people and stuff. But the day will come. This is going to be the final time. The world will be in a situation in which it was just um, in a horrible state. Except those days should be shortened. There should be no flesh saved. I mean, that is, Jesus' words are, are something to, to really pay attention to. Then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. So maybe there will be a lot of that going on. And we know what Jesus says. For there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, and they shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that it is possible they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, they say to you, Behold, he's in the desert. Christ is in the desert. Go out there. We all need to bow down to him. He's in the desert. He says, No, don't believe them. Go not forth. Behold, he's, he's in the secret. secret. Oh, he's got a... He's got a secret place. Jesus has a special place that He's at. And He's waiting for His followers to come and to be with Him. Jesus says, no, don't go there either. Believe them not. For as the sun, that means the lightning, the light that comes every day when it comes up, the sunrise, that light, that powerful light that we see, which is the sun, as for the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. No one will be able to miss the Son of Man coming. And it will scare everybody who is not in the book of life. And they will want to battle against him. They will want to raise up armies against Christ. He says, For wheresoever the carcasses, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He's going to intervene before man destroys himself off the face of the earth. That battle, I don't know how many more we're going to have to experience. It's 266 in 1900. No telling how many we had before that, but never got recorded. And someday maybe in the kingdom we'll be able to count them all. There will be a kind of a sad counting, but no, no telling how many more battles we're going to have before Christ returns before man gets to the point where he's going to destroy himself off the face of the earth. He said then, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of the trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from wind end of heaven to the other. And they learn the parable of the fig tree is the next part of that. And I want to go on. Because I want to, when it comes to prophecy, as I said earlier, um, there are so many ideas about it and things that, that we, we don't really understand. And so even though I'm going to read some things and I, um, I still don't see all of the, the things that are happening in the world um, as a culmination yet. Let's go to Daniel, the second chapter. Because to understand um, the basis a prophecy is to understand those four nations, the four kingdoms that Daniel saw rising up as four separate types of beasts. So in Daniel, the second chapter, in which he gives some, let me find Daniel again. <clears throat> 
It's in here somewhere. There it is. Daniel, the second chapter, beginning in verse 31 to 45. I'm not going to read all of this, but what I wanted to do was bring the synopsis. This is um, Nebuchadnezzar saw this vision, and so Daniel actually gives him the understanding of what what these are. He says, You, O king, verse 31, saw, and behold, a great image. That great image, whose brightness was the excellent, stood before you, and the form thereof was terrible. This image, whose head was of fine gold, its breasts and its arms of silver, its belly and thighs of brass, and its legs of iron, its feet of part, miry clay, uh, part iron and part miry clay. And you saw till the stone was cast out without hands, which smote the image upon its feet that were of iron and clay, and broke them to pieces. Then was the iron and the clay and the brass and the silver and the gold broken to pieces together, became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away. And there was no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof, King. O you, O king, are the king of kings, for God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. Whatever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and fowls of the heaven, has he given into your hand and has made you ruler over them. You are the head of gold. So now Daniel's telling him because of this vision that all of these, these kingdoms, this is the beginning. This is Nebuchadnezzar. This is the beginning kingdom. And God has revealed all of these kingdoms down through the ages. And the, we're down to the toes, by the way, the feet and the toes, and, um, and trying to understand that. Whatsoever the children, uh, let's see, in verse, um, uh, verse 39, And after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to you, and another third kingdom of brass shall bear rule over all the earth, and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaks in pieces, subdues all things, and iron that breaks um, all of these. And she'll break in pieces and bruise. And, and the Roman Empire was a powerful, powerful force in the world. I mean, it went out to conquer and it conquered. It was powerful. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, part of potter's clay, part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, and it was. We know that. But there shall be in it of strength of the iron, for as much as you saw the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet are part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And so as we look into these, and there's ten, ten, uh, ten toes, and so we have ten kingdoms. Then we look at that and we see, okay, what's going on in the world? How, how do we put ten, verse, ten kingdoms together at this time? How do we, how do we understand that? What, are we right there? Have we got ten coherent kingdoms? Well... Right now, it looks like we've got a, <laughs> a lot of incoherent kingdoms going on in this world. And everybody has their own ideas and everything. We don't know whether there's going to be, there's, there's forces. Maybe this ISIS thing is a, a force to begin to put these kingdoms together. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of things that could come about. Uh, my kids, my, my grandchildren may be the ones that see this come about. Who knows? God tells us to watch. He tells us to, to read the Word. He tells us to keep, keep an understanding of what's going on in the world that we live in today. And so trying to come to understand that as we understand the Word of God 
is part of what we, we, we do. Not just the ministry, but all of us. All of us should be reading. We should be studying. We should be watching the news. We should be understanding what's going on in the world out there. Sometimes the, the, the play of, of, um, of, um, of the political things overwhelm sometimes the more important things. Although sometimes the political things can force things to happen in the world, and we understand that. And, and God sets up kingdoms, he sets up rulers, he sets these things up, and he is still the, the power over the, the nations, over things. And so we see that. And so the toes of the feet were part of iron, part of clay, verse 42. So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas you saw iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So that's kind of an interesting verse right there, and kind of trying to understand that. In those days the king shall, the God of heaven, set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and that kingdom shall, be left, shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and shall stand forever. For as much as you saw, verse 45, that stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it broke in pieces in the iron and the brass and the clay and the silver and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. By the way, those other kingdoms have existed. This was written long before they, before they, um, um, those other kingdoms and Rome came into to existence, and Greece and, and uh, the others. So, with that in mind, and those, that dream and that interpretation, of course, uh, Nebuchadnezzar decided that, wow, wow, that's great. Let's build us a monument to this, to this. and so he, he built something that looked just like him, <laughs> and he put it out there, and, and he said, now you're going to have to worship this, this image. Now you're going to have to bow down to it, and anytime you hear something, bow down. Bow down to this image. So anyway, they refused to bow down, and um, you know the story from there. Let's go back to Revelation, the 13th chapter now. As we see these kingdoms, and this powerful beast, and all the things that are, that are going to come to pass in the end time. And so as we read this, and we try to come to understand, because remember, Daniel said that the interpretation is sure. And those kingdoms came about, so we know that it's going to happen. And we know that it's going to, 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 to come about. In, verse, in chapter, one, um, chapter 13 of verse 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So already, that whatever rises out of, out of the sea is a, is a filthy beast. And it, it is ready to just blaspheme God from one end to the other. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet was the feet of a bear, his mouth is the mouth of a lion, and, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So we see Satan enter into this, 
uh, into this end time thing, this, this power that is given uh, to, this, uh, to this beast. And saw one of his hands as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So it's a powerful war-making machine. It's conquering, out-conquering things. And there was given to him a mouth speaking great things, blasphemies. Power was given to him to, to, to continue in 40 and 2 months. And he opened his mouth in, bla uh, in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. <laughs> and it was given to him to make war with the saints. To make war with the saints. So we're going to, the saints, those of us who are to stand up and preach the gospel message, are going to put their lives on the line when they do that. He's going to make war with the saints. To overcome them, power was given to him over, over all kindreds and tongues and nations. We haven't seen that yet, have we? We have a, dis, we have a lot of disjointed nations and, and things, and, and they all have their own ideas, although you know, coming together for global warming seems to be a great big thing for today, <laughs> even though most of the scientists can't. Although they say 96% out there, they love that number. 96% say, oh, this, all the scientists say that, that, there's, that there's global warming going on and that uh, all of the, the, the world is going to be covered in water. And... Um, it isn't happening. It ain't happening. God has made the world. He understood. He knew who we were. He knew that we would have this kind of powerful um, things going on at the end. And the world, the earth takes care because God has set it that way. That all dwell on earth shall worship him. Those names that are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So right there, understand that the, there are some that aren't written in that, in that book. And he's going to make war with the saints. And all those that dwell on the earth that worship him are those that are not written in the book of the, uh, of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. So we're to pay attention to these prophecies, and we're trying to understand them to the best of our ability in the time frame that we live in. We to watch the news and see what's going on. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He kills with the sword shall be killed by the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven upon the earth in the sight of men. So this is a powerful false prophet or antichrist or whatever that has a lot of power. And Satan is giving him a lot of power over the earth, on the earth. And deceives him to dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image of the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. 
And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark on the right hand or in their forehead. So um, there's been many, a lot of speculation. Um, the uh, barcode <laughs> was the first one, which we use all the time now in the grocery store. And barcodes are used everywhere from, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's ubiquitous. <laughs> you can't find a package anymore that doesn't have a barcode on it. So it is every place. But it's not a mark on anybody, it's just a mark on my bread. And uh, the other one is, uh, you know the universal uh, credit card, uh, the universal this, uh, social security number. <laughs> yeah, well, I was also, possible, also possibly one of those early ones. But not the whole world doesn't have social security numbers, only, only Americans have social security numbers. And um, so anyway, there's always been a lot of speculation about the mark. And I'm, I'm sure that, that God will reveal that to us when the day comes, when we, so we can understand about that mark. And let them that have, oops, I missed. Let them that have the uh, understanding count the number of the beast. For it's the number of the man, and his number is 666, or 666. So, um, there's been a lot of speculation about 666 also. So we see the world has been filled with all kinds of war and to end that war, God has to come back. And to make that happen, he has to do it with power and great power. Isaiah, the second chapter, because he's got to take over all nations and he's got to bring them into submission because man... It's just not really capable of ruling without war. I mean, even God wanted to, he wanted to get the nations out. <laughs> he wanted to get those nations out. Uh, Kim was talking about uh, God, you know, and uh, he says, I'll, I'll move them out for you. I'll move them out for you. I'll, I'll, I'll send beasts in. I'll send bees in. I'll send anything in. I'll move them out of there. I'll take care of them. Oh, no. Oh, forbid that. We love the sword. We're, we're sword wielders. And so, <clears throat> and they are. They were warriors. They were powerful warriors. And so God used them, but he told them that he had to do it at his own. At his own. So here's in, in, in um, Isaiah, the second chapter, in verse 4. After God has taken over and set up his kingdom... He said, he shall judge among the nations, shall rebuke many people because of war. Because there's no peace on the earth. He's got to judge them because of war. And rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nations, neither shall they learn more anymore. No more war colleges, no more this, no more that, that learn war. I know it's going to disappoint a lot of people. A lot of warriors, because there, there are warriors. There are men that love war. They're warriors. They've got war in their hearts. And David's men, he had warriors. They killed 300 people in their own lifetime. 300 Philistines. They didn't think anything out. They had to get the sword out, and they killed them. Now, I don't know whether God gave them extra power in that, in that particular one. David's men were warriors, and they didn't have any PT. What is it, PTSD? 
post-traumatic stress syndrome. They didn't have any of that. They just were ready for more war. That's why he had to get rid of Joab. <laughs> he, told, he told Solomon, man, you've got to get rid of this guy. He's a warrior. You'll never have any peace if you've got Joab in, in, your, in, your, uh, in your government. So he, he did. All right. I'm running out of time for peace. <laughs> but I still have enough time to read a few scriptures. Because peace is the most important thing, brethren. Someday God will bring peace to this earth. War will be over with. War will be ending. And we will have peace because Christ is going to bring... Christ is going to war until peace comes to this earth. Ephesians, the second chapter. There's a lot about peace. and the Peace for, through Jesus Christ. Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 13. He says, Wherefore I... Oh, oh, that's not it. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus you sometimes were far off and made near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. He's our peace. Who has made both one and broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself two, one, new man, so making peace. And, and that's peace between God and our, us, brethren, because of Jesus Christ. He, he broke that down. We have we have that relationship because of Jesus Christ. And they might reconcile both to God and in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off and to them that were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows to a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are built together for habitation of God through the Spirit. Ephesians 4, just over a little bit. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, and those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior have that. And we have a vocation with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, enduring, endeavoring to keep the unity of the, uh, of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to every one of us is given the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And of course you could go on. Ephesians is filled with all kinds of wonderful, powerful messages. Ephesians 6 and verse 15, just one verse here. And you are to shod, your feet are in the armor. <laughs> your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It is, it is both like the gospel, the good news of the kingdom has to preach about the coming war that's going to be on the earth, but it also has to be preached about the peace that's going to come onto the earth. And so when we walk with the gospel and we bring that message, we also must bring the message of peace that's going to come to this earth. 
It's part of the gospel message. It's part of the kingdom that's going to be on this earth. So we must preach that part of it also. So with that armor, that gospel that we, we preach, Colossians, the third chapter. Like I said, there's a lot of, a lot of tremendous and, and interesting scriptures in here about peace. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. Put on therefore the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against him, even as Christ forgave you, so you also. And above all those things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body. Be you thankful for that peace that God has given to you. Be you thankful. It's part of our Christian walk. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Brethren, we need, we desperately need to have this in our heart because if we do happen to, to live into that time in which great tribulation comes upon this world, we will have to be strong. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. 14, 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. He's the author. He, he wants peace. He wants, wants us to love one another and to have peace among each other. Into Romans. And Romans is uh, full of uh, all kinds of things. I, I started at the back and moved towards the front, so we'll, we'll do that uh, with, this, uh, with my study on peace here. It's kind of interesting. First Corinthians, uh, Romans 15, and beginning and only one verse, 13 here. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy. So we need joy. No matter what the tribulation and trials are, we need the, the joy of God in us. Because you know, remember, Christ suffered all kinds of things. But he, he said, I give you peace and joy. Now, these things I want you to have. Now, the God of, all, of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a... There, there's power that you can call upon to bring peace and joy and happiness in your life. Even in the midst of great tribulation and trials and tests. Romans 8 verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but be spiritually minded is life and peace. So if you have God's Holy Spirit, there should be a peace that's beginning to work in your life. And there should be some peace that are beginning to to. To, to work in your life. And the longer you live in God's way, that peace should be stronger and stronger. It's, it, and I, wrote, I, I put a little arrow there because I, I wanted to emphasize life and peace. Life and peace. You have the Spirit dwelling in you. You have potential for eternal life because that Spirit dwells in you. And because of that, that gives you peace. It gives you peace of mind. I have it made. I have it made. Those that die in, the, in this way, their, their names are written in the book of life. Their names are written in the book of life. And when they're resurrected, their name is going to be called. <laughs> There's a powerful, powerful day that's going to come when Jesus is going to read their name in this, to the Father and said, Yep, he's in there. This guy's, he's in here. <laughs> She's in here. Wow, look at that. Give him a new name. Give them a stone that has that name on it. 
Give them all the gifts that I promised them. Give them a rulership. Give them a, a few cities to rule over. Give them the power that they need to, to, to do what they need to do to bring peace upon this earth. Because that's what it's all about. The kingdom of God on the earth. So it's going to be a tremendous time. Peace and life. Romans the 10th chapter. Romans 10. Beginning in verse 15. Just one verse here. Romans 10 verse 15. And how shall they preach? <laughs> how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach, that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. That's why I, I, I love preaching this kind of message. I don't like the war part. But it's, it's, part, of, it's part of the message. You know, it's, it's something you have to preach. I hate war. You know, some people just thrive on it. They thrive on war. They thrive on the things. But I hate war. I, I, I've been a pacifist since I've been a young kid because I don't like to see people get killed. But I, in, it's, part of, it's part of the society that we live in. War is part of the society. But I, I want peace. I want peace. I want to preach peace. I want to preach the good news of peace on this earth. That's what I want. I want to see it come to this earth. Verse, uh, Romans 14, a couple of verses, Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't you think people are going to be, I mean, even the, even the physical people that come up in the kingdom of God, who are left, or who are resurrected, who come and, and are part of that kingdom, Aren't you, don't you know they're going, to have, they're going to rejoice? They're going to be so joyful to be a part of that kingdom? They're going to have so much joy because the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. It bypasses all the physical things. It gets, you know, the, we need food to eat. We need the, the, rejoy, the physical things to, to, to sustain us. But in, in reality, because we're all... Growing old to die, what it amounts to, we're, we, we start out little, little kids and we grow old and we die. We need the kingdom of God. We need the things that are spiritual rather than the things that are physical. It's important in our life that we have those. Verse 19, let us therefore follow after the things that make for peace. And things wherewith one may edify another. Peace is a part of the gospel message. It's a strong and powerful part of the gospel message. And it needs to be preached on a regular basis that peace is going to come to this earth. 266, maybe more. I did say 266. Yeah, 266 wars since 1900. Men have been killing themselves on this earth, and we need peace. We need the kingdom of God. I wrote down here, someday the world will be forced to give up war and pursue peace with all men. It's going to come. Believe it, brethren. It will come. I know that when we look at the news and we see all the things that are going on and we... You know, Arabs and Israelis and all of the things that are going on in the world, we just, I mean, it's ever going to, but it will. 
It's prophesied. It's going to come. To all your brethren. To all brethren. This is a message to all brethren. It's, it's written in the book. To all brethren. Beloved of God. Called to be saints. That's us. We're called to be saints. Grace to you. And peace. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ.